Thank you for joining us on Merit Matters, a virtual series highlighting current events, industry experts, and local community engagement. I'm your host, Tammy Brooklid, Principal of Merit Construction, and today we're highlighting our newest campaign, Challenge Accepted. The campaign looks to highlight Merit's strength as a solution-driven company, while also building up and promoting growth within our community by encouraging a change of perspective when faced with challenges. As we build relationships, create experiences, and deliver our product, we are always challenging ourselves to make each aspect of our business better. We listen, we evaluate, we brainstorm, we solve. Today, I have Katie Musgrave here to discuss the challenges in her role over the past year. Katie is the philanthropy director for the Boys and Girls Club of South Puget Sound. We hear from her today about the challenges brought on by COVID, as well as the challenge of taking on a whole new career in philanthropy. I am so honored to be invited to join you. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, absolutely. I think you guys are doing such important work and, you know, the challenges that we've all dealt with are tremendous. There's no question that it's going to be, you know, if you asked anyone, there's no shortage of saying, oh, yes, my goodness, the challenges have been unbelievable. Um, I think it's really about how you respond to the challenges that that is where we grow. That's where real transformation happens. And that's what we want to be focused on with with this particular um, campaign. We want to help people understand that, yes, it's hard and yes, it feels like there can't be one more challenge, but we have to shift. We have to have a mindset shift and see challenges as a way to transformation and see how people are affected by challenge in a positive way and stay focused on that and stay focused on the good as much as possible. Absolutely. I find that it is really interesting still, you know, nearly a year and a half into this, how people are impacted. I think I'm still surprised by that because, and it's, it's twofold. One, when I'm sharing with people about the work that we've continued during this time with the Boys and Girls Club, people are surprised. They maybe didn't know. They thought we were closed. But also, when I'm talking to other people about what they've experienced and what their challenges have been that are different than mine, I think it is eye-opening for all of us to hear these stories of what have we really endured? What are the great things that actually came from this that we never thought were possible? Mm-hmm. And what is in our future? Yeah, yeah, I love that. And looking forward and to the future is is where we all have to stay focused. Will you share maybe a challenge that you've seen consistently in your workplace? It doesn't have to be 2020 related and share the strategies that you've implemented to kind of overcome it or not necessarily overcome it, but bring a positive from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really the most relevant thing for our organization is really what has taken place over this, this time, this pandemic. And if you think about the Boys and Girls Club, you know, our own organization, Boys and Girls Clubs of South Puget Sound here in Washington, um, We've been in existence for over 80 years. We have been an after-school enrichment program for young people to have a safe place to be. And it's always historically been that after-school time of day. Never have we been 
13 hours a day or 11 hours a day. So March 2020 hits. And also keep in mind, you know, our number one partners are our school districts. So when school districts are in school, we're serving kids after school. When they're on summer break, we do have a full day program, uh, typically, you know, 10 weeks to get families through the summer and have a good place for kids to be. So, so when the school said our doors are closed right now, we, we had to follow suit immediately, but we had no idea what was happening in five minutes from then. I mean, it was such yeah. a shock to our system nor did we know what we could do. I mean, our gut reaction is emergency personnel need to go to work. Families that are essential workers need to go to work. So naturally, we would we would step in and open our doors. But could we? We didn't even know. I mean, that was the craziest thing. And this continued for a year. I mean, we were able to stand up two emergency sites within a week, a week and a half, one uh, in North Mason and one in Tacoma. And that was in close partnership with with all of the existing partners that we already had. We already knew, okay, here's what needs to happen. How do we safely do this? What are we allowed to do? And so that biggest challenge was the changes that were coming so dynamically, changing so fast. And what were we really allowed to do? And, you know, we knew how to do an all-day program. We did it in the summer. So a couple weeks goes by and we're good. We, we've got the program down. But, you know, then a couple months go by. <laughs> and staff are getting tired and more changes are coming with the different safety protocols and the guidelines. And so, you know, in a nutshell, change was our challenge, no doubt. Um, how did we overcome it in a positive way? Well, it, it is that challenge accepted uh, attitude. And really, our mantra was whatever it takes, whatever it takes to build great futures. That's exactly what we were we were doing, whatever it took to keep our doors open for that period of time and for to keep our staff safe and to keep our kids safe. That's what we worked through. And keeping staff lifted up and giving them the the resources and the tools and the energy, hey, you can do this. And it meant that, you know, we were reaching out to some of our other partners, asking them, hey, can you kind of help us out in this different way? Could you provide lunch for our staff at this club? Because what a treat. For them to have lunch catered, you know, from Panera or wherever, uh, Jimmy John's, um, Taco Bell. It was fun for them to have a little treat, a little break from their long day. Um, a lot of conversations from the branch management and the operations leadership and from, from our CEO um, just really cheering them on for the work that they're doing. And I think that they all knew how important the work was. And I think something also to recognize is that there were boys and girls clubs across the country that weren't able to do that. They had to close their doors for a lot of reasons. Taking your business model that operates three and a half hours a day after school 
and then operating for 13 hours a day has quite a price tag. And, you know, financially, when when our revenue streams are not from our customers, if you will, from the people we're serving, that that's not where our income comes from, that, that they don't keep our doors open financially. So there was a lot of things to take into consideration. And I think there was a sense of pride that we were able and had the partnerships in place that we could keep our doors open when we knew so many across the U.S. didn't have that ability. And it it's sad. Yeah. You're not fulfilling your mission when you can't do those things. Well, and it was a sense of responsibility, I'm sure, to some degree as well. We can. And so we will. Um, you know, you needed to be a beacon for others and you couldn't necessarily be a beacon to your other organizations that weren't able to move forward, but you needed to be a beacon in the community. And you were, I mean, I've loved every time you I've identified with the, whatever it takes. I was definitely in that same mode during those, you know, initial six months or, or so of COVID. It was like, Yes, we're just like you mentioned, we're ch- everything changes every single day. We don't get to decide. We get to wake up and somebody else tells us what to do. And this is not what we're used to. But you know what? We, we're going to keep moving. We're, we're not going to lay anybody off. We're not going to shut down any jobs. We're going to do whatever it takes to move forward and come out better on the other side of this. And I that's what I think. What else? Something else comes my way. I'm like, psh, no. We've done we've done much more challenging things than this. Now that I have COVID in my back pocket, I'm like, we can make <laughs> anything happen. That is so true. Absolutely. How do you maintain a positive attitude yourself about challenges in, in the workplace? And really honestly at home. Like it sometimes we've had to dig deep and I know. I know sometimes you give your best at work, you need to give your best and you come home a little bit empty. And so that's been one of my big challenges is making sure that I, I'm my best self at home as well. So what tips and tricks do you have for us regarding that? Well, personally, my world shifted drastically with COVID. I was the person that you know, got up at five o'clock in the morning and got my day started and um, spent many hours traveling between Mason County, Kitsap and Pierce County for donor meetings and site visits and tours. So I was always burning up the highway, always on the go. Honestly, I would never say no to a meeting, no matter how late it was. And a lot, you know, three to four nights a week was late meetings. I'm a, I'm an active Rotarian, so there's always mm. that element as well. So, you know, I was always never home during the daylight, I guess. And one thing I know about myself is I don't sit at home real well doing nothing. I, I kind of, I get into my own head. I get stir crazy, cabin fever, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So myself and my colleague, Kayla, we shared an office together in Bremerton. You know, we've literally got the cardboard boxes and we're thinking, what do we need to get us through the next couple of weeks working from home? And, you know, we did that and we came home and we're talking out loud to each other over Zoom meetings for the first time, saying things like, OK, this is working all right. You know, we can get through this. And then. 
you know, a few more weeks pass and I'm mentally preparing for the meltdown. I know it's going to happen. Um, I, I, when, yeah, when, so now I'm in the house every day and I was waiting for the meltdown and I will tell you it, the meltdown came, but not like I had expected. I mean, it was just a really different thing. And I feel what, what I, what was changed and what was different is everybody was home. Everybody was experiencing this. It wasn't, I wasn't letting anybody down by not being in front of them and meeting with them in person. So I, I feel like that took a little bit of weight off of my shoulders, but you know, um, I'm all about keeping things lighthearted and finding the humor and just trying to have a really positive outlook when things get really hard. And so, you know, we tried to do that. I mean, we were coming up with, um, Zoom meetings just that were not an agenda. They weren't even about work. They, my boss, Emma, she was calling them tea time and, you know, everyone grab your favorite drink and let's just, let's just talk about what, what are you doing this weekend? What's happening in your life? How are you surviving? Like when was the last time you wore a pair of slacks? Um, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I wore slacks for a long time. I was like, I am not doing that. I'm not going to go down that road. And I caved and I'm all about the joggers now. And I just love it. And, and now that things are opening back up, I'm like, I don't even know if I have any pants that fit me, but, but that's a different story. But yeah, just trying to really be not so hard on myself. I think about mm. what was really happening and, and really what, what was in my control. I mean, at this point, like you said, everything was out of our control. We wake up the next day and kind of figure out, okay, well, what, what can we do today? Right. So so trying to stay lighthearted and not be hard on myself, you know, in the in the real heart of the pandemic, when things were just really intense, it was like, I haven't been out of the house in 10 days. Maybe we should go for a drive. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think so many people were have have dealt with that is is just. I just need a change of scenery. Change I don't care if it's if it's pretty scenery, I just need it to be different than these four walls. I think that's what a lot of people experienced. Yeah. And the thing that's kind of interesting is my husband, his job didn't change. You know, he works um, in the IT industry for a financial institution and he was on site every day um, a lot. He had the option to work from home. He knows that that is not when he works the best. He does not work the best from home. So you know, he forgot from time to time what that was like, you know, to, to be home all day, every day, all day. <laughs> yeah. and, and just to not have the people interaction that you're used to, you know, it's, it is great. Zoom is great. Teams great. All of those things, but it's not the same. And for Jason and I, it was the opposite. Jason was home immediately Starbucks put everybody um, like they were one of the first to shut down completely all of their office staff and he's still never gone back and I was going to work every day like everything was normal and trying to sort of go out and talk to the job sites and make sure everybody was doing everything and everybody was okay and I would get home and be like what did you do today like I, you know, expecting <laughs> there's going to be like a gourmet meal or I don't know, fold the laundry. And he's like, 
I worked like I worked 10 hours. That's what I did. I'm supposed to work in there. I'm not supposed to do housework and, you know, build you, uh, you know, your your herb garden thing that you want built. So I had to come to terms with that, too. Like, oh, OK, yeah, you're still working. Everything's still supposed to be, you know, like business as usual. Um and and recognize that it does have an effect on our our well-being it, just just the difference of it and knowing is everything going to be okay and if you're at home doing that it's challenging to keep that up for yourself you know thank goodness you guys have such tremendous leaders at the boys and girls club and they inspired throughout i mean like right there with you in it understanding that this is hard and understanding that they needed to lead with positivity and they needed to lead with inspiration because it's hard to pull that out of the air and especially when you're home alone. So I'm grateful for that. And I was grateful to be able to listen to them along the way. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome um, in the last five years? So go bigger picture. It's It can still be COVID without a doubt, but Take a five-year higher look at it and tell me what's the what's the biggest challenge. Well, I will tell you that I am just coming on to my five-year anniversary with the Boys and Girls Club. Perfect timing. And yeah. So prior to this role, I had never worked in fundraising and philanthropy. I was um, a, a branch manager for a financial institution. And before that, um, I was a government contractor to the Forest Service. So I always worked, you know, the business side of the house, never worked in nonprofit, definitely, you know, in banking and branch management, there is a lot of sales happening, a lot of development, staff development, a lot of leadership, customer service, all of those things. But I've always been really passionate for um, my community and serving my community. So an opportunity came, um, the boys and girls club spent a little bit of time, about six months recruiting me. And I was like, I love my job. Why would I leave? And when I came to the realization that I could make a greater impact in my own community with the renovation of the North Mason teen center, um, how could I say no to that? Honestly, like that was so awesome. And if they thought I could do this job, then surely I could. I mean, these are the experts, right? They would they would know if I'm capable. I had no idea. I really didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so I would definitely say my my greatest challenge was stepping into a brand new industry. And you know, the it was a $3.5 million campaign, which I'd never been a part of a campaign. Um, let alone the renovation of a of a much older building and all of the fun things that come with that, as you know. Every day, I wanted to feel like I had accomplished what I set out to accomplish. I wanted to achieve what needed to happen. I wanted to be efficient. And I had zero experience to go off of. So... That was really hard for me emotionally and mentally. The days were long and 
I just, you know, people kept saying, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. And I was like a sponge. I mean, tell me what I need to know. I, I will do, I will read every book. And I read a lot of books and I read all the blogs and, you know, this is how you successfully, you know, have a campaign. But I think what really made that whole time, and that's a three-year campaign from the time that I started through the fundraising process, the year I got to spend with Merit during the renovation, um, you know, three years of my life went into that and my heart and soul went into it. It was my community. And I knew what I, I felt like I knew nothing going into it. But what I did know was relationships. I, I knew that from the very beginning of my career. And it's something that I value deeply. And all that I do is building relationships with people. And that is truly what made it successful. I mean, we were so incredible to have relationships with donors and with community members and with the school district who, you know, provided the the location for us and and working with you guys. I mean, there was all kinds of hiccups. And I knew I had a great relationship with your team and that they were just a phone call away and we could work through any crazy challenge, including the olive green flooring that was <laughs> so bad and only an hour and a half away from production. I mean, it was the craziest thing, but we found humor. We worked through the tense moments and, you know, it was those those strong partnerships that just really got me through that incredible time in my life that was literally like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to trust that the people that were around me knew what they were doing and take guidance from them and their leadership and just run with it because I didn't feel like failure was an option. You know, if you fail, in this job, it, it's not me that's failing. It's the people that we serve. What are they going to have if we're not here? In a nutshell, you know, that that whole campaign, like just joining the organization and learning. And I kind of always had this mindset is, you know, give me a year in the industry. You know, I've had three pretty drastic career changes in my life. And but give me a year and I'm pretty much going to have my bearings. I'm going to feel like I know what I know, and I'm good to move forward. There's always room to learn, but I've got a really solid foundation. That is not the case in this particular job. And I mean, after three years in the campaign, I was like, wow, I'm super glad I learned that. What can now what now what's the next thing? You know, what do I learn now? Because there's lots of elements to fundraising, not just campaigns by any means. Mm -hmm. So five years in, I'm definitely still learning. <laughs> I think that's good, though. That That's what keeps it interesting and you know you you have this way about you that says i'm chasing excellence i'm not i'm not just uh wanting to get to a point where i feel like i know my job well enough i can do it well enough you're always like i want to go to the next level and i want to i want to take it to a place it hasn't been before and and i'm gonna you know be there working on it to support whatever we put together and I, I love that about you. I think that that is 100% a challenge accepted attitude. <laughs> and when you're explaining the story, I'm like, that's, you're like, okay, challenge accepted. And you stepped into it not knowing 
what was going to be on the other side, but knowing that you were going to give it everything that you had. And I love that. So it just demonstrates that you're the perfect person for for this interview. So I'm going to go straight into what does challenge accepted mean to you? I can hear it in everything that you talk about and not just you, but I can hear it in the Boys and Girls Club. I can hear that that's that's their heart as well. So share that with me. And then um, how do you hope it will impact your team to be part of Challenge Accepted? You know, I think the great thing about Challenge Accepted is when we start to have the conversation and listen to what other people are saying, we're not in this alone. And while we have spent so much time alone um, for practically a year and a half, when we start to hear the stories and start to hear whether it be challenges or successes, we can resonate with each other. We can say, wow, I, I'm experiencing that or I found that I felt that way as well. And we're, we are all in this together. I mean, what we do every day at the Boys and Girls Club, you know, our cups are full. I mean, it is hard work, no doubt. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, when you know you've made an impact in a young person's life and you might not get to see that impact realistically, you know, I mean, it's the rare occasion when you can see it come full circle. I wish there was more of those opportunities, but we just, we know the the work is so important. So we're ready to accept the challenges that come with that. And I think that's always been our attitude. Um, we just really had to kick it in high gear this last year. <laughs> and so I think what's so awesome though, about this campaign that, that Merit is doing is, you know, we really are sharing hope and we are sharing um, experiences together. We're sharing this experience together of all of these challenges and we're not in it alone. Every nonprofit across the country is scratching their head saying the same thing. We're, we're going to do it. We, we have to do it. We have to do whatever it takes. And that is exactly the attitude that we have kept and there's been hard times. There's been tears. I'm not going to hide that. Um, but there's also been the holy crap moments. We did it. We yeah. did it. And I think that's what keeps us going. You know, if we, if we keep going, our doors get to stay open. And when our doors are open, there's a single mom out there that knows her kids are in a safe place so she can go to work. There's emergency workers that know they are still able to do their their jobs that are so vital. I mean, there are working families that just need the support system. And we just, what do you do when your kids don't physically go to school? Oh, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it has, it has put a challenge to family structure, regardless of what your family structure looks like it's put something to that that i don't I mean it hasn't happened in our lifetime we've never had to experience anything like that i can remember what it was like to deal with a snow day <laughs> surprise it's a snow it's day like summer. okay great and th this was a snow year 
Yeah, by the end of summer, everyone's ready for school to start. Oh, most definitely. Can you think of someone specifically um, or a situation outside of your organization that you admired their approach to the challenge? I mean, it can be a family member or someone from your personal life or even somebody you don't know, but you just you you found inspiration in in their approach. <clears throat> this was such a hard question for me to tackle. <laughs> Because I am inspired by a lot of people and a lot of situations. I mean, I think, you know, this, our frontline staff, what they, what they've done, you know, it inspires me that they keep showing up with a smile for these kids, you know? And so I, I put a lot of thought into it and my husband and I, our families, our parents um, live in Oregon. So we just recently, two weekends ago, took a trip down to Oregon to see a friend um, she's really in the fight of her life with cancer right now. And she, her and her husband, um, her hubby went to school with mine through, since like, I think middle school. So, you know, lifelong friends. And uh, we hadn't seen them since we got married and they were going to come see us and she just wasn't really well enough for the visit. So we said, we're going to come to you. As the weekend went on, um, the two of them came to visit along with another uh, couple that is is lifelong friends with my husband. And the ladies sat in the living room and chatted and the guys were out by the barbecue. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, she's been battling cancer for six months. It's bad. It's in several places throughout her body and it's in her lungs right now. So she was on oxygen and, you know, I just... I didn't know what that visit was going to be like. And the three of us who have never sat around and, and shared stories and visited like close girlfriends, right? Because we just have never had that opportunity to really have that time together. We sat around in that living room for three hours and we shared stories and tears and emotion. We talked about COVID, we talked about kids, we talked about all business professionals who went from working in the workplace to now working from home. We just talked about life. And what really just inspired me and, and kind of blew me away, honestly, was she was so present in the moment. And so, you know, we talk about being mindful and, and really being present and really being in a place in our lives where every day is a gift. And it was incredible to me to hear her talk. And I understand where she's at in her life right now. And it, it was such a moment of how do we really be mindful and present every day at the level to where we are really impacting those people around us where where when you're talking with someone they know you're listening mm -hmm. and when you're having this conversation truly about what is important in life what are the priorities in life and i just felt so inspired by that that none of it was she she wasn't sad where she was at in her life. She felt like every day was a gift and she was so full of joy and positivity. I just, I treasured every moment of us in that living room 
having those conversations together about where we were in our lives and how we'd gotten there and what what is next you know it was just really amazing time and i think we've all known somebody that has experienced you know a really traumatic health scare and you know it's just mm-hmm. really something to pause and to be in that moment yeah I, with positivity yeah i think it's a great example for for all of us and life goes by and it goes by really fast and um to take the moments that are presented to you and to make the most of them and to not be multitasking and to not be thinking about what you need to do tomorrow or even when you're listening to someone to be literally listening to them not listening so that you can answer or say something when they're done is it's like we've become so used to you know just kind of working at um, hitting something from three different angles at the same time while we're cooking dinner or whatever. Um, so I just, I love that. And I think that's, that's a great example to, to all of us. It's like, sometimes you think about it being some tremendous challenge someone overcame that is like, you know, their house burnt down or some, something that's, that's an event, but to inspire people it has to be something relatable and you could watch this person that had this whole other thing happening in their world, but they were like, the most important thing to me right now is this. It and was. that's, that's so good. Yeah. And I do agree with being relatable. Um, I, I want to inspire people to be present in the moment. I'm terrible at it and I want to be better at it. And I want to inspire people to do the same. I mean, if I've learned anything in the last year and a half, it is to slow down and to breathe. Yeah. So we have some get to know you questions just because I think that you're an incredible human being and I want other people to know about you. Um, So tell me about your role. And we kind of talked about this, I guess. Do you feel like you need to cover a little bit more about your role? Well, you know, philanthropy and fundraising is kind of an interesting thing. Um, There's lots of different avenues for fundraising. There's, um, you know, capital campaigns like we talked about so we can, you know, build the infrastructure. But there's individual giving where, you know, you're really focused on working one-on-one with donors. There's corporate giving. There's a lot of corporate foundations out there that, that focus on reinvesting into the community. And there are foundations, family foundations. And my work has really shifted this year in 2021. Um, we had a little bit of a change in our team where our VP of philanthropy, um, she she's sort of sunsetting her career a tad, um, but she was ready to shift as she transitions into this next um, season of her career. So my colleague, Emma, um, was promoted into that role. She became my boss, which is great because I absolutely love working with her and she has taught me so much. So it was really an awesome fit for the two of us to have this transition. And um, our former boss, though, she uh, was our lead grant writer for the organization. And we have a really big grants portfolio. It's quite large. It's our largest source of revenue for the organization. And I always admired her ability to write these grants um, as incredibly 
detailed and precise and I mean, she could do it with her eyes closed. And I always said, there's no way I could do Terry's work. Never, it's, I can't do it. Um, and now I'm doing it. So the transition this year was um, me leaving more of that director position that does a little bit of everything, events, capital, individuals, some grants, um, to now really managing our grants portfolio. And I really am loving it. I was scared terribly at first. Again, something I had not done at that level. And now it's like a project manager's dream, which I love the organization and to be able to work with so many people in the organization, everyone from you know our CEO, the finance team for budgets, um, operations, obviously, because they're the ones that are doing the work with the kids. Um, so yeah, I, that is how my, my job is shifting now and I'm really loving the change. I'm finding it a little challenging to, you know, balance all of it. There's still events to be planned and donors to meet with, but, um, I'm up for the challenge and it, it's been really fulfilling the, the last couple of months. So that's what's happening now in my role. I love that. I'm excited to see how things change. You know, we're starting to open back up a little bit just in being able to gather and things like that. Um, so I'm excited to see how you guys manage that in the upcoming year. I will tell you that the Boys and Girls events have always been one of our favorite things to do. It's very much ingrained into who Merit is. Um, we've had the pleasure of um, knowing your organization through Len. Zarelli, who has served on the board and done all kinds of things for the Boys and Girls Club over the years, um, as well as his wife, Darcy, they're very involved and, and love it. And so it's been neat to learn about the Boys and Girls Club through their eyes and their commitment to the Boys and Girls Club, and then to be able to carry that on. And, and uh, you know, Len has had relationships with other people. My relationship is really through the Boys and Girls Club has always been with you. And so the depth of that relationship will continue. It's just going to be, you know, with different people. So I'm excited to see what happens, um, how we pick up some of those things that we didn't get to do in the past and hoping that we can squeeze in a couple extra things. I know my guys that had been able to participate in the North Mason Club were so excited for some of the fundraising things that were going to be actually located there or celebrating that region because they don't normally go to those types of things. So they're excited to see. And I was just thinking about, they both have their green tile that you sent them from that <laughs> tile and they have it in their, their recognition. Yes, that was so I had great. to do it. I, you know, that was the scariest thing. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if, if our computer screens, you know, if the color was wrong or maybe there was a typo on the, um, the uh, website or whatever in the name but this flooring was great you know it was like this dark gray and it was custom made it was the most expensive ticket on the entire renovation <clears throat> and i was like that's a good solid color you know we went with the 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 expensive brand that was gonna hold up like this was a big deal and then i get the phone call and mind you, I'm sitting in the living room with the congressman's wife oh. because they're getting ready to plan a house party fundraiser. And I'm like, could you excuse me for just one moment? I'll be just, I need to take this call. <laughs> 
And we hear that the floor is olive green, like bad olive green. I don't know if I'd even call that olive. Let, let's just say it was a really ugly green. It was so I bad. I love olive green and it doesn't feel like olive to me. It, I don't even know what it was. And I am just so thankful that somebody caught it an hour and a half before it was to go to production. I don't even know what I would have done. I would have cried a lot. There's no doubt. So I ended up with this one sample of the color, like, hey, we just want you to know what color it would have been. And of course, we had time to change it and everything. So I had this flooring sample. So it was like an 18 by 18 rubber flooring. And I had it in my car for the longest time through the project. And I was like, I am going to do something creative with this for these guys. I don't know what yet. And then I decided I was going to make like a plaque out of it and put our logo on it. And it's just putrid. This this color is just awful. And so I presented them, you know, with that plaque when we were all done. And we had like some great, we had breakfast together that morning at the club. And, you know, we did fun streamers and all that corny stuff because they stuck with it. I mean, they were working with me who didn't know a thing about project management, renovation, none of it, but we were going to do it and we were going to do it within budget. That was the whole point of me being involved and making sure that we were going to be able to make this project happen. Because if we were over budget, where were we going to get the money? You know, it was that, it was that crazy for us. So I loved working with them. They were the best. And I will tell you, When that project was over, I went through a period of total emptiness. We were no longer meeting weekly. We were no longer strategizing. We were no longer, you know, having the camaraderie about all of the crazy things that comes with the renovation and the challenges. And it just stopped. I mean, it was just over. And (laughs) I was so sad. And I felt like, well, what what is next? What, What do I do now? Like I've been ramped up for three years straight. What do I do now? So that was a, a little period of kind of sadness. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, we go through that. I mean, provided we have an excellent relationship with the client, because there are times when everything isn't, you know, how it was between the Boys and Girls Club and Merit. But when we have a relationship with someone and you're meeting with them regularly and you're it's a friendship. It turns into a friendship. There's trust. There's, you know, you, you love the personalities, there's jokes, there, there's ends up being all these different things. And there is a loss when, when you walk away from that and you're like, I miss that time. Like I, you know, what do you do now with that, that extra time? I think they all go through it. And I will tell you, they, they learned a lot from you working on the project, even though it was not something you had done before, your approach to things and your positive attitude, they loved working with you. And I think the loss was reciprocal. It was felt on both sides. And I just look forward to it sometime down the road when you build a new club and we get to work with you and you can be like the project manager of that as well. I love it. I love it. Yeah. A couple of things have come up that we thought we might be able to do. And obviously COVID stopped everything. But my first question to our team was, do we get to work with Merit? (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. I love that. And that's what my first question will be when they call. Do we get to work with Katie? I love it. Thank you. (laughs) 
Well, that's all the time that we have, Katie. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know you're busy and it just feels good to just talk to someone that we have such a rich history and I just love hearing about all the great things that the Boys and Girls Clubs were able to accomplish during this challenge. I appreciate the way that you personally have inspired me during um, the last year and a half. You know, we didn't give up on each other. We connected whenever we could. We talked about positive things and we supported each other's vision um, for our work. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have a strong woman like you in my life. And thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Tammy. It's been an honor and I'm so thankful for our friendship and our partnership. So thank you. Absolutely.